thank you so much for this morning, God. Your, your goodness never runs out. You have never let us down. You never will let us down. You are who is, who was, who will forever be. God, I ask that your kingdom would be established, that your name would be lifted high, that you would be our king, that we would spur each other on to goodness. I just thank you for this morning. Thank you for the ability to gather and make great your name and to say it is about you, not about us. It is about you. We thank you, Father, and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Hi, Gisela. It's always nice when you're here. Good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the deacons here. And I uh, just wanted to say thanks for having me back. I, uh, I always really enjoy getting to, uh, to come and share with everybody. Um, you all keep inviting me back, and I always love doing it. So if you are, if you are new here, if you're newer to Awaken, I just want to say thank you, welcome. Um, glad you came to check us out. Um, and uh, we're actually in the tail end of a series right now uh, entitled My Offering. And the, uh, the series has been going over finance, which is always a super, super fun topic in church. And uh, it's been talking about uh, stewardship, um, budgeting, freedom, like this ability to leverage finite resources into building a, uh, an infinite kingdom, which has been really, really fun. But we're actually closing out today. We're starting a new series next week, and uh, I've been tapped to be the closer, which I really like doing because I, I get to tie it up all in a neat bow and then, and then walk off the stage and it's all done. Um, so I, I like it. It's fun. Um, so today we're actually upping the ante. If it's not uncomfortable enough to talk about money in church, we're actually talking about worrying about money uh, in church, which is fun because I, I like the awkward. I like personal finance. I'm a little bit of a budgeting nerd. I wasn't always that way, but uh, marriage and two kids will do that for you. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're actually talking about money and uh, worrying about money. And I wanted to start off with a, uh, a situational question. So this is a Kind of a question, imagine yourself in this scenario. So imagine you walk into a dark room, you have one match, and uh, all you see is uh, you have an oil lamp, you have some kindling, and you have some newspaper. Okay, so it's dark, those are the three objects. Which do you light first? It's the match, yes. You light the match first. Did you know, are you, are you just smart or did you look it up before? Probably just smart. Probably just smart. Yeah, it's a trick question because immediately our minds are like, oh, you, you like this one, you like that one. The other is you like the match first, right? And uh, it's, it's, it's a good picture for where we're going to go today because uh, worry, anytime it's present in a situation, worry is kind of an insidious thing. It, uh, it distorts truth. It makes the problem seem bigger. It makes the actual solution that should be obvious seem small and insignificant. And it, uh, it, it kind of plays with our emotions. And so it, it distorts things. Um, and so it kind of creates this blind spot of what the actual truth is, which is, of course, you light the match first. That's the obvious thing, right? But our minds get so caught up inside worrying about finances, which is already a very emotional topic, and then anxiety about finances, which is all a, an emotional topic. And, uh, and so today what we're going to talk about is we're not going to talk about which of those three objects we're going to light first, right? We're not going to talk about strategies to overcome the feeling of anxiety, things like that. The solution 
to anxiety and worry about money specifically is to back up and realize that the solution is to like the match first. And so we're actually going to talk about the match today. We're going to talk about kind of a shift in focus to solve the riddle rather than getting caught up inside the details inside, inside the specific scenarios, right? So um, today is an awakened Q&A, um, which I always really like. Uh, which means that if I say something strange or funny or odd or you just want to comment on something, you're more than welcome to text, um, comments, questions, concerns, anything to awakenqna at gmail.com. I'm going to leave a little bit of time at the end and uh, we'll tackle them. So throw whatever you got. Um, one other thing that I want to say before I get started is uh, that we're talking about worry today and uh, we, do, we live in an environment where... Um, where uh, anxiety disorders are very present, right? And I just wanna say, I'm not talking about anxiety disorders, which is a medical condition. I'm talking about a human condition, which is true of everybody. I'm talking about the human condition that is built into our souls that is uh, prone to anxiety about the future, prone to worry about resources, prone to worry about what comes next. Um, and I'm not so much talking about the medical condition of, of, uh, of an anxiety disorder, so. Um, if you are someone who feels anxious about money um, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, I just wanted to encourage you, one, you're not alone. A uh, study last year showed that 25% of Americans worry about money, quote, all the time. That is a constant anxiety for a quarter of Americans. And uh, the funny thing about that study is that it actually has nothing to do with the quantity of money you have. The quantity doesn't solve worry. Um, and so folks on, a very, uh, on each end of the spectrum, uh, as far as the resources that they have, were equally prone to worry and anxiety about money, which at first seems a little bit puzzling, and then you realize, like, look, you can worry about trying to get something you want or need and not being able to get it just as much as you can worry about having something that you want or need and worry about losing it. And so the best solution that the world has to offer is to either more quickly grab more or to ardently protect whatever you have. And that, as far as like, the world is concerned, that is the best system to alleviate anxiety and worry about money, is get more, hold on to it harder. And the reality is, is it does nothing for the human condition of worry about money. The world does not have a, uh, an effective answer for it. So we get stuck into this loop of worrying about you know, promotions and jobs and finance and budget and all these other things, and it actually um, it undercuts this ability to actually have peace. And there is a collateral damage in all of this. And uh, the collateral damage is not only are you, does it sabotage the ability to have peace and to just be a peaceful person, it, uh, it also sabotages generosity. Because generosity exists from a position of peace and security and identity, and then passing on an abundance of what you've been given to others. And if, you're, and if we're stuck over here in this feeling of net zero, limited resource, gather everything you can, hold on to it as hard as you can, then generosity falls to the wayside. It, becomes, it starts getting self-sabotaged. And I promise you, we have been called to generosity as believers. We have been dealt very generously by a very generous God. And he's made us our kids, and we're being conformed with his image. So he called us to generosity. And so living on this spectrum of worry um, self-sabotages the generosity we've been called to. Um, a, uh, the, the reason that we don't, uh, that we're not able to break that cycle is because 
we as a people are so focused on which of those three objects we're supposed to light first. And we forget that we're supposed to focus on lighting that initial match first that then sets the other things in motion. Um, and then having a primary focus on, on the primary thing is what we're gonna be talking about today. So I wanna tell you a story um, that helps illustrate primary focus uh, in, a, uh, in a very extreme situation. So uh, it was January 25th, 1984. Uh, a man by the name of Brother Yan, who is a uh, Chinese house church pastor in the underground church in China, was thrown in prison. Uh, it was illegal for him to practice his faith, and, uh, and the state government um, put him in prison. At the beginning of his imprisonment, he was praying, and he felt like God told him to fast and pray for the advancement of the church during his time while he was in prison, and to not eat or drink anything, but to just fast and pray. Uh, for context, the human body can go about a week without water. So during the time in prison, uh, on a daily basis, he was beaten, uh, he was tortured, he had needles shoved under his fingernails, human waste dumped on him, uh, all of his possessions were destroyed, uh, his family was told that he had died by the guards, and so they believed that he was uh, dead. Um, and, uh, and he laid on his cot, not moving, and just praying. And during this time, he had visions and, um, and dreams of, of what God was doing in the, in the church, and he was able to rest and pray. This went on for a week. This went on for two weeks. This went on for three weeks. This went on for a total of ten and a half weeks of him lying on his cot, praying and focusing and just withering away. Uh, when his family did, finally did come to see him, uh, he, they didn't recognize him. Uh, his body had withered away so much. At the 74th day of his prayer and, of his prayer and fasting, uh, his cellmates in the cell block were beating him again, throwing things at him. They'd all been taking bets on when he would die. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit came on him and he stood up, which first of all surprised everyone. And so everyone just drew back. And, uh, and paid attention. And so everyone drew back, and he stood up and he said, fellow prisoners, I have a message from my Lord. Please listen carefully. And he preached a gospel of repentance and forgiveness. And he preached, and every single person was able to see his testimony of, look, God has kept me alive. You know it's impossible. What God has done here is a miracle, and you need to repent and be forgiven. And every single person in the cell block fell on their knees, repented from the guards to the prison leaders to the cellmates. They had limited water. He baptized each person with the tiny amounts of water that they had. And then they went out into the rest of the prison and led countless people to the Lord. Life very often feels complex. There's a lot of complexity in our day-to-day -day lives. There's lots of nuance and kind of decisions we have to make on a daily basis. And so anytime something crystallizes or simplifies our world, it creates sense out of something that seems very chaotic. And this is what I want to tell you today. There are only two kingdoms. There are only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God that has been established before time, is being established, and will last forever. And there's the kingdom of man. And the kingdom of man has been crumbling since its inception, and it will always crumble. Peace is an export of the kingdom of God. Fear is always an export, and worry is always an export of the kingdom of man. There are only two kingdoms, and you will have to choose which kingdom. 
And for believers, we have made a choice. We made a choice that says, I am identified with the king of my heart, right? We've identified with this king, and we're saying his rule is established. His reign is, is true in my life. Jesus makes it really clear in Matthew 6, 24. Um, and if you want to turn to Matthew 6, we're actually going to be camping around inside this chapter a bit today. So you can just earmark that chapter. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So there are only two kingdoms, and you will have to make a choice between the two. Um, a uh, quick warning, I'm going to get into a little bit of Greek, and Andrew, if you have anything uh, to add or any, any uh, beef with what I'm saying, take it up in Awaken Q&A. Um, the Greek word for worry um, actually comes from a, a root idea of a single person being torn in two directions. Like, that's worry. That's the word picture that originates from worry throughout Scripture. And uh, the, the image that I have in my mind is, uh, you know, like, in, you know as, uh, like being pulled apart by horses, right? It's being strapped between two opposing forces and then pulled in opposite directions. Worry is the thing that straddles both kingdoms and says, I want both. And they're going in op opposite directions. And you will not survive trying to straddle and hold on to both kingdoms. And worry is the thing that is tearing, worry is the thing that tears us apart between these two kingdoms, these opposing forces. Uh, worry is a sign that you're trying to hold on to both kingdoms, and, uh, and you're the casualty in that process. Um, also, interestingly, the Greek word for peace uh, means uh, a part of the whole. It means you are together in oneness and firm. Um, and so they are, they are opposite ideas, which is really cool. Um, several years ago, uh, my wife and I were, uh, I was still in college, and uh, my wife and I were on a uh, weekly budget. I remember we had our budget written out on a whiteboard in our living room. And uh, we had what I had to make in tips at Olive Garden, where I waited tables, in order to make our weekly budget so we stayed on track for our monthly budget so that we could stay out of debt and save enough to go to school and all that. So it was a very tight financial time. Um, and uh, during that time, a friend of ours named Joanna, who was a, uh, a missionary for a great number of years, we met at uh, BIU at Columbia International University up in South Carolina, and uh, she was currently living in Indonesia. And she, uh, she and I were talking, and she said, hey, when are you going to come to visit me? And I said, look, it's not going to happen. Like, we are so stretched thin financially. It's just, it isn't something, that's, I was like, unless the money falls out of the sky, we can't, we can't come visit you. And she's like, cool, then I know exactly what to start praying for. I'm going to start praying for the money to fall out of the sky, and then you can come visit me. And I was like, sure, okay. If the money falls out of the sky, we will take it as a sign we're supposed to come visit you. Went home, talked to Caroline. We both agreed. Like, okay, for the record, it's like four to $5,000 for both of us to go to Indonesia. It's like two grand a ticket. It's not going to happen. But yes, if we'll both agree under this hypothetical situation, cool, and then let's have dinner. And we moved on. Four days later... Um, four days later, uh, UNF, oops, uh, emails me and says, hey, we just deposited $2,000 into your bank account. Um, we had leftover scholarship money, and uh, we're just dividing it up, and you get $2,000. So I went down to the UNF one-stop, I think is what it's called, and uh, I was like, so what? 
um, one, are you going to ask for it back? Two, what? And then three, are you going to ask for it back? And they were like, no, it's literally just extra scholarship money. You know, you have really good grades. It was literally my senior year. I was like, that was my last semester. They had no incentive to do that. I wasn't going to spend it on school later, right? So they dropped $2,000 in there, and they're like, you can do whatever you want. It's your money. We're not going to ask for it back. It's like, okay. So I went home and told Caroline, and uh, she was like, that's strange. One week later, they did it again. And I, and I was like, I think we're going to Indonesia. Um, and, uh, and then uh, several other small weird things happened. A friend who we had helped out several times over the course of years like, wrote us a check for $500, and someone else sort of, and they're just like, kind of, and so we ended up going. And, but if, imagine not being rooted in the idea that we serve a God who has incredible ability. Logically, from a net sum zero resource over here, we should have said, we have money, we should save it, like put it in school funds, finish the car, like put all, and, like, all this other stuff, right? Like we're going through Dave Ramsey, like let's just finish up Dave Ramsey stuff. But the reality is, is that we had, uh, we were citizens of the kingdom and we said, we had this conversation. We knew what God was, like we knew what we had agreed to and we knew that we were gonna say, if God does this, then, that, then we'll know that that's what we're supposed to do. And he did, and he dropped it right there, and we went to Indonesia, and it was incredible. It's still some of the best, best memories. We went through, um, uh, we went through a birthing class with with uh, Alyssa, and many of the memories from Indonesia were what we used in in uh, in, in being able to to birth those kids, um, which was really cool. And uh, it was an incredible experience. And um, yeah, it's just always a testimony, a reminder of don't test God. Like literally, if He wants you to do it, He will do it. Um, just trust Him, and uh, but be faithful when He when He comes through. Because uh, we are not dual citizens, right? We are not some kind of hybrids between the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of man. Like, we were dead in, the, in a dying kingdom, and God raised us to life. We're aliens living abroad, living under his rule in his economy with his citizenship rules and his family rules. Like, that's our identity, is that we're God's kids living abroad, um, and that we have a mission to accomplish. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but, what on is, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So when that feeling and the, the pit of your stomach comes and you know, the, the anxiety and the worry starts setting in, this is where we focus our eyes. We focus our eyes back on Christ and we say, if I am part of his kingdom, then it's okay. If I'm part of his kingdom, everything else can fade. Everything else can go. My responsibility is to be faithful with what he's given me, and to trust him, and to keep on being faithful with what he's given me. Um, worry is a sign that our focus is on the wrong kingdom, is that we're looking at the wrong kingdom. And so when worry sets in, take that as a reminder that we're focusing on the wrong kingdom. Worry ties our eyes to a finite problem, a finite solution, and a finite savior. So the real question is, what kingdom are you looking at? If we focus on finite problems, finite solutions, and finite saviors, the relief will always be temporary, and the problem will always be recurring. And that's the cycle we'll always get stuck in. We will be temporarily solving problems, but the problem will continue to occur over and over again, as long as we're focusing on finite problems. This really beautiful verse in Jeremiah 17, uh, 7 through 8, says, They will be like a tree planted by a stream of water. They won't worry about the heat those who trust in the Lord. 
And uh, I love that picture because uh, when you think about a, a tree, like this is, what, this is what Christians are supposed to be. Like these are believers, that we are these trees planted by a never-ending source of life. And so it's, it's okay if the economy goes. It's not the end of the world. Our hope is not tied in the economy. It's okay if we get laid off. Our hope is not in our job. We have a never-ending stream of life. And so even when it gets hot, we, are, we have a, these roots that run deep down into eternal life. That's more important than the environment. That's more important than the environment we happen to be living in, right? I'll, uh, I'll share with you something that um, has helped me clarify complexity a great deal. And uh, I wish I could remember who first told it to me, otherwise I'd give them credit. But um, the idea is that out of all of our motivations, the reasons that we do things, the reasons that we choose things or want things, it boils down into these two big buckets. And one is security, and one is significance. And so it boils down to security and significance. Um, it's why am I safe? Why am I okay? And why am I unique? Why am I important? Why do I matter? And everything ties back into these two. You can tie your security and your significance. I I'm, I'm envision these like carabiners that they're, that they're anchoring to. You can tie them to finite things. You can. People do this all the time. Parents tie their uh, security or their significance to their success of their kids constantly, right? Um, uh, people tie their security to their finances or to their jobs or to their career advancements. Um, they tie it to the country they happen to live in. They tie it to their gender. They tie it to their race. They tie it to a great number of things that are finite, right? The thing about finite things, though, is that they constantly change. They constantly crumble. They are constantly in flux. And so our security and our significance are in flux with them because we've tied ourselves to these changing things. The cool thing is that um, God has answered both of those questions for us time and time and time and time again. He says, okay, well, why are you secure? You are secure. If you're a believer, you are secure because your future is held in the God who literally holds and created the entire universe that you are part of this eternal family and that you are secure, that your identity is rooted in him uh, and he does not change. He does not change like governments change. He does not change like economies change. He does not change like the weather changes. He is eternal. And so your identity is rooted in him. Why are you significant? Because you've got the fingerprints of God written into your DNA, man. Uh, you have been placed on this earth in this time in history to affect a certain thing. Like, you've been placed here with a mission to raise people out of the dead and to see them brought from death into life. You've been given a mission. Like, your significance should never be in doubt because God has called you significant. And you get to recognize the significance of every other living person on, in the entire world, that there is no one who is not significant, that there is no one who is not uniquely designed by God. And no, neither of those things change. Neither of those things are changed. Those are, they are rooted firmly in an eternal kingdom. In uh, 1943, Abraham Maslow created uh, what's called a uh, table of the hierarchy of needs. And uh, it became really common and accepted uh, within psychology of this uh, pyramid of, and we've got a picture of it on the next slide, I think. 
this pyramid of uh, your basic human needs, starting with the most foundational ones, building on top of it, building on top of that until you finally reach the highest point. And the idea is that you have to meet the base needs first, uh, then you meet the next level of needs, and you can't actually progress until you meet the bottom ones. So um, physiological needs, things like air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, reproduction, these are all physical needs that you have to meet first. Uh, second is your safety needs, uh, personal security, employment, resources, health. Um, and then it moves on to love and belonging, esteem, and then finally self-actualization, which is defined as the ability to become everything you were meant to become, the ability to, to aspire. And you can't do that until you've met the other ones. Remember the uh, riddle from the beginning. Um, this is a, probably a very accurate, helpful plan of which of those objects to light first. Well, you light the lamp first because then you can see, and then you light the kindling so that you can have heat, and then you take the newspaper and you read it because now you have the ability to read it, right? So it's, this is a very detailed plan of success of which of those objects, in which order, it makes the most logical sense to progress through that, through, through that riddle, right? But it does neglect the fact that you light, you light the match first, that you, you do not start lighting other things until you actually have the match lit first. Um, and uh, what's really cool is that in, in studying for this uh, teaching, going through Matthew 6, um, there's a really cool mirror in, uh, throughout Matthew 6 and 7 that touches on, on these various categories. And so I want to go through them. So uh, the first baseline is the uh, physiological needs. And uh, this is what Jesus says about that. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He's saying worry has zero place in the kingdom of God. It doesn't exist in the kingdom of God. Worry is not something a believer should have because worry is that trick. It's the distraction. It's the distortion. Our safety needs. Um, in Matthew 6, 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All of our safety needs are met in Christ. He is our primary resource. Our love and belonging. In uh, verses 3 and 4, he says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This affirmation and love that we seek, it's in God's eyes. It's meant to be the primary source from God's, from God's eyes. And then our esteem of others. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Man's esteem fades. God's is consistent and eternal. And then finally, self-actualization, which is cool. It says, which of you, it's like, this is, what is our aspiration? What is the thing that we're supposed to be doing? Uh, in verse, uh, chapter 7, uh, 9 through 12, Jesus says, which of you, if your son asks for your bread? You want your identity? It's son, it's daughter. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give you a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give you a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the whole law and the prophets. 
Going back to our riddle. Which do you light first? You light the match. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That is our primary responsibility, is to seek him first. If you do that, everything else will come. If you don't do that, or if you do that, everything else will come, and nothing else can take away that primary source. You are secure because of Jesus. You are significant because of Jesus. So seek him first. Peace and worry are in uh, opposite, they're in opposition. The two kingdoms are in opposition. And uh, worry is an export of the kingdom of man. And peace is an export of the kingdom of God. Our uh, home group has been going through Galatians 5, uh, through the uh, fruits of the Spirit. And uh, one thing that we were talking through is, one, peace is the fruit of the Spirit, right? Um, and fruit is a really cool image because it literally means this is the natural byproduct of this kind of life. Um, you cannot, I dare you to try, you cannot manufacture an apple without an apple tree. It doesn't exist. You can't do it. Uh, and likewise, an apple tree does not focus and grunt and study and figure it out, and only the most elite apple trees do it, right? If you're an apple tree and you're healthy, you produce apples. Um, and that's what, the, that's what our fruit of the Spirit is, that uh, if we are firmly rooted in this life, Peace is a natural byproduct of dwelling and living and abiding with God. In uh, John 15, 4 through 6, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So that's the gospel. Gospel is return to God because you can. That he has made a way for you to return to God. And when you abide and when you live with him, peace and generosity and life and community all flow. Um, we're going to tackle some awakened Q&A here in a minute. Um, but as we are wrapping up, if you have any last minute thoughts or questions, um, any questions? Yeah. We have one so far. So, yeah, we'll load in some more. Um, if you have any thoughts or questions, you're more than welcome to, um, to text them into Awaken Q&A, and, uh, and we'll tackle them. As you're doing that, I want to, uh, I'll close with this story. So, I went to a, a small Christian college up here in South Carolina for a total of two semesters. Uh, and the first semester, so my, my grandfather helped with uh, some of the tuition and, uh, for the first semester. And that's where I met Caroline. Uh, that's where I met a lot of folks. That's how I got connected to, um, to Awaken Virginia. And uh, my first semester um, was really great. Started my second semester. Called my grandpa about halfway through the semester to thank him for you know, helping. And this was uh, spring of 2009. And my grandfather had a great deal of money tied up in the stock market. And 2008, 2009 was the height of the recession. And so he, uh, he said, Stephen, I, I appreciate it. I have to tell you, everything is changing and I, I can't pay for this semester. Like I, I need to bring things a little bit closer to home. I need to re rearrange some of my investments. It's not something I'm gonna be able to do, I'm sorry. And uh, at this point I was past the ad drop for all the classes um, and, uh, and I was like, I don't know what to do now. So I was stuck in this weird position where um, they, uh, the classes were not paid for. I was full time enrolled 
for me to withdraw would have cost more for some reason. And so I wasn't, I was stuck. Um, and, uh, and so I remember going to the, the financial aid office and talking to the dean and, and saying, look, I, th I think I just need to go. Like, I'm sorry, but I, I, I can't pay for the school and I don't want to waste y'all's time. So you can just go and I'll, I'll pay you back when I can. He's like, just keep going to classes. I'll look, I'll try to figure something out. Don't go, like just keep going to your classes. And, uh, and so I did. And uh, there was this constant return throughout the entire semester in me of this anxiety of what do I do? How do I proceed? How do I process? How do I think about this? And um, because it was this constant debt looming over my head as I was going through, not knowing if I have to go home next week or if they're going to say, yeah, you're right. Okay, bye. Um, and, uh, and so it was this constant temporary. And um, the uh, semester progressed, midterms, finals. The semester was over. I hadn't heard anything. I was halfway through the summer. And, uh, and I get an email from the, from the financial aid office, and they say, pay the full. And uh, I remember I, I printed it out, and I still have it in, in one of my journals. I printed it out, and, uh, and it showed balance zero. And uh, I'm just now realizing I get really lucky with financial institutions. Um, <laughs> it said balance zero. And, uh, and I wrote, and I hand wrote on the statement, I said, you can never again doubt the provision of goodness of God. And I folded it up, and it still is in my journal today. And every once in a while, I'll flip to my journal, and I'll pull it out again. I'm like, oh, yeah, you can never, ever doubt the provision of God. It's what he does. He takes care of his kids. And so that's my encouragement to you. Document what God does and use it as, um, as faith bolsterers in the future because we are very forgetful, and um, we forget. But you will have to make that choice. You'll have to make the choice of which kingdom will I operate in. And... Uh, um, one verse that stood out as I was talking to Caroline about this was uh, Joshua 24, 15. Joshua is uh, talking to the people of Israel, and he says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites whose land you are living in. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You have to make that choice. It's a choice that you will have to make of, of how you're going to live, whether or not you'll operate under a temporary kingdom with a temporary economy, and you'll tie your security or significance to that, or you'll operate in the eternal kingdom of God, because that's the only source of peace. Cool. Let's go make some Q&A. Uh, did the Chinese pastor die in prison, or did he eat and survive after that? Just checking if you knew. Uh, he did eat after that. So after the 74 days um, and uh, salvation came to a bunch of the, uh, the prisoners, um, he did not die. He, uh, he is still alive. Um, he, uh, he is banned from China. They, um, he had to flee the country. Um, and uh, I think he's in Canada now. I'm not sure, but he's, he is still alive. Yeah. That's cool. We got two more. But yeah, the book is called Heavenly Man. It is a uh, it is a fantastic book. Highly recommend reading it. It is an, it is like reading a modern day Acts in China in the eighties, so kind of modern day. Um, but yeah, it is uh, it is an incredible story. I remember reading it in um, late high school, and it was a very very formative uh, book to read. So, uh, what was the Corinthians verse about eternity? I missed it. Uh, that is good. 
Thank you. Second Corinthians 4, 15, 18. Second Corinthians 4, 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Cool. Is that it? We're all done. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll close in prayer, but I just want to say thanks. It is, uh, it is an honor to get to serve alongside um, some amazing people. Um, I appreciate worship today. It was, it's really good to refocus our eyes and, and focus on, on his kingdom. And, uh, um, and my hope and prayer is always that anything I say, anything I do, not only won't be a distraction for people or be a stumbling block for people, but that it will move people at least a degree closer to falling in love with Jesus. And, uh, and that's, that's what it's all about, is that we're helping each other move closer toward him. And, uh, and so that's my prayer. I'll close in prayer, and then uh, Katie's going to come up with uh, some announcements. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Um, God, I ask that um, what needs to be remembered will be remembered, and uh, what needs to be forgotten will be forgotten. Um, I ask that you would be that you would be our God, that we would operate as aliens living abroad under your economy and your kingdom, and that we would be generous people living in freedom and calling people into freedom. That is our, uh, that is our prayer. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.